We continue together then in this series entitled Freedom in Christ. And you may remember that behind it, one of the key words behind it, one of the key texts behind it, was the text uh, that Jesus said that the truth, if you know the truth, the truth will set you free. But it's the truth that is under attack in our day in a way more subtle and more dangerous than perhaps the church has ever had to face before. And so it's at such a time as this that we look together at what the truth means in today's world. The world's view of truth and how we should respond. Let's pray together. Father, we're coming to something that matters because your son Jesus said that it mattered. Truth was important. Truth was the road to freedom. And in our day when truth is under threat, when we are being squeezed into other people's moulds, we ask that you would help us this evening and that you would bring your truth alive in our hearts. Thank you that your truth remains true. We don't need to aggressively defend it, for it defends itself. But we do ask that you would awaken our spirits, that the things that are true would resonate in our hearts and instruct our minds. So be our help and our guide, for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We've often heard people talk about Uh, other people looking at the world through rose-tinted spectacles. The implication is that they look at circumstances or a particular situation in an over-optimistic way. We've also heard of people looking not through rose-tinted spectacles, but looking at life through dark glasses, particularly pessimistic. Here, though, is an example of an optimistic lawyer that comes apparently from a real court transcript. The lawyer speaking to the doctor who was a witness in the dock. Doctor, before you performed the post-mortem, did you check for a pulse? Doctor, no. Did you check for blood pressure? No. Did you check for breathing? No. So then, says the lawyer to the doctor, is it possible that the patient was alive when you began your post-mortem? No. How can you be so sure, doctor? Because his brain was sitting on my desk, replied the doctor. But could the patient have still been alive, persisted the lawyer, nevertheless? It is possible that he could have been alive, said the doctor, practicing law somewhere else. How we see the world through which glasses we are looking is very important. How do you see the world? 
Do you see the world through rose-tinted spectacles? Or do you see the world through dark glasses? The reality, though, is often different from the way we see things. We have learned to look at the world in a particular way in order to help us make sense of it. We call it our world view. Our way of making sense of the world around us. A set of presuppositions or assumptions which we all hold, either consciously or subconsciously, about the basic makeup of our world. And your worldview and mine acts as a filter for everything that we see and hear. You pass everything that happens around you through that filter in order to help you make sense of it. But if our worldview is faulty, if our filter is wrong, it will inevitably therefore lead us to make wrong or faulty judgments on the things that we are looking at. Have you ever seen a 3D film? Remember when Jaws came out in 3D and you could buy those little, get given those little glasses, one green and one red. Everyone looked quite ridiculous in the cinema. But everyone wanted to go and watch a film with these particular glasses on because they would make the film look differently. It wasn't that suddenly the film was really in 3D, but the glasses enabled you to see the film in a particular way so that you perceived that it was in 3D. It looked like Jaws was coming out of the screen towards you. It was all to do with the filter through which you were looking. And we, over these past few sessions in this particular series, have been beginning to think about truth and the way we look at God and the way we look at God's truth. And what I want us to think about this evening is the kind of filter through which we are looking. Where do you get your worldview from? Well, part of the way that you look at the world comes from your past experiences. If you, for example, had an overtly strict and demanding father, you've probably come to see God as constantly displeased with you, on your case, calling you to reach a standard that however good you are, you never quite seem to make. A strict disciplinarian. Is that how God is? No. But you've seen God that way because of the filter through which you have learnt to look at the world, because of your past experience. More concerned this evening, though, is not past experience, but the way the culture around us encourages us to see things in a particular way. We have absorbed from the culture around us countless ways of looking at the world, whether those ways are true or not, we have taken them on board almost completely unconsciously. We share our spectacles of the way we look at the world with many other people around us. And to help us see that, let's look at some examples of the way people around the world see things differently yet in common. For example, a non-Western 
worldview, a way of looking at the world that we are not particularly used to and comfortable with in our culture. But if you were brought up in Africa, it would be the way most people saw the world around them. This set of spectacles that most people would wear is called animism. It's found in its purest form in uh, pre-literate tribes, but it also can be found right up the spectrum in very well-educated and intellectual people also. Now, most animists believe in a creator or a god, or gods, small g, of some kind, But they tend to see that God as not being very near, but far away, distant, out there somewhere, apart from the world that this God has created. Does this God play a significant part in their everyday lives? No, they don't believe he does. What the animist is far more concerned about, though, is the neutral power sometimes called manna, which is thought to run right through everything in the universe. Animal, vegetable, or mineral, everything has this power. It's thought to be a bit like electricity. In our everyday lives, we turn on switches, the light comes on, we change the light, we plug in extensions and so on, and the electricity goes along the leads to the light or whatever it might be. We recognize, though, that if we were to handle this electricity, this power, badly, it could injure us. That's why if we want to do something complicated in our homes, we will ask an electrician to do it for us. This spiritual power that they believe in is like that. It can do good and it can cause harm. It needs to be handled carefully. And so, they would look to the shaman, the witch doctor, or the medicine man, who is like the electrician, qualified to handle this neutral power that flows through everything that can be good and it can be bad. Animists believe in spirit beings, spirits that are often associated with natural objects or with people who have died. And animists believe that humans can control this power, but you need to learn the right techniques, the right words, and the right methodology. They believe that this power can overwhelm you, or you can learn to control And if somehow you displease the spirits, then this power will work against you. Animism is found in many parts of the world. We're not particularly comfortable with it. We don't talk about it every day. You do not read it in the newspaper. It's not part of our worldview. It's the way many others in our world see and make sense of the world around them. And even people who profess to belong to some or one or other of the major world religions would find themselves to be animists. Most Buddhists in Thailand, for example, would be animists. It's the way they see the world. It's not that far away from us, actually. Lots of the New Age thinking infiltrating what we might call the West 
is along these lines. In France, not that far away, there are more magical healers who would sign up to this kind of worldview than there are medical doctors. Make sure your insurance is good then if you go across the channel. But then back to something that we are much more familiar with. The Western, or what's been called the modern worldview. Most people brought up in the West in the last 50 years or so have been conditioned to look at the world in a particular way. Although most people still profess to believe in God, 69, 70% of people in an ICM poll would say they believed in God. To all intents and purposes, most people, like the animists, assume that God also to be quite distant. If he's there, well, he's not really involved, and he doesn't make any difference to -to day-to-day living. In that sense, he might as well not exist. And so the Western worldview divides reality into two parts. There's the natural world, the here and now, the physical things that we see all around us, the things that we do every day. And then there's the supernatural, the spiritual, God, and those things that go bump in the night, that are kind of out there somewhere, but don't really make a difference or impact us from day to day. We sort of believe in them, but when push comes to shove, we put our faith in what we can see with our physical eyes, what we can touch, and what we can measure. The supernatural realm is seen to be so far away in our worldview as to be almost irrelevant. It doesn't touch our world. If it did once, it doesn't any more. For example, we can teach in our schools science and humanities without ever mentioning faith or God. We think he's irrelevant to how we understand the natural world. God is an optional extra, not part of the essentials to see the world and understand the world around us. The natural realm is thought to be governed by scientific laws God may have created the world and established those laws, but now he's far away, off in heaven somewhere. Essentially, the Western worldview says that if you can't test it, if you can't prove it scientifically, then it is not true. The ordinary person in the street, therefore, who doesn't spend much time thinking about big issues, has come to believe in our culture, in our worldview, that for all practical purposes, that the world came about by chance, and if that chance happens to be God, if he does exist, then he's irrelevant to the way we live today. And even the church has taken on much of this. We've shared the spectacles with the world around us. We've taken on much, many of these ideas. We've been influenced by this worldview. In trying to make, uh, some Christians have been tempted therefore in trying to make their faith work in today's world, why don't we get rid of all the things that are supernatural and simply explain Christian faith in terms of those scientific provable things. Maybe that'll make Christianity more attractive to the modern world. And so, 
throughout this last century, particularly dominant in the early part of the last century, many theologians were saying, let's get rid of every scientific aspect of Christianity because then it will be more appealing to the modern man. Let's not say Jesus walked on water. The modern man can't accept that. It cannot be scientifically proven, so we'll get rid of it. That's not too serious. But then they say, well, what about the virgin birth? We can't understand that either, so let's get rid of that, and let's get rid of the resurrection while we're at it, and let's reduce Christianity to those things that can be tested and proved scientifically, because those are the things that really matter. And that's been the developing worldview. But then more recently, something else has happened, which is even more dangerous. Because the Western worldview of modernity, of putting our trust in things that can be scientifically proved and so on, is now in decline. We should be glad about that, but very anxious about what's replacing it. Because replacing it is something that's been called postmodern, after the modern view. And this, if you like, is another pair of spectacles that slowly but surely people around us are putting on, and if we're not careful, we'll be wearing them too. Most of us brought up now in the West will find that we wear spectacles that belong to the modern view and spectacles that belong to the postmodern view. The younger you are, the more likely your spectacles will be to be postmodern. In fact, people 10 years younger than me You can't believe that because I am incredibly young. But people just 10 years younger than me look at the world incredibly differently from the way I was taught to look at the world. A big change has taken place. And if you don't mix with young people, you will not be aware of it because by and large you can live quite happily within your worldview still within our culture. But it's happening all the same. And postmodernism has its roots in the thinking of, uh, of, of that philosopher Nietzsche. And this is what he said. He said, there are many kinds of eyes, and consequently there are many kinds of truth, and consequently there is no truth. The Western worldview may not see God as truth, but it does not necessarily deny the existence of truth. This postmodern view says that there is now no truth. There is no such thing as objective truth, at least not as something that stands on its own. Instead, each person is free to make up their own version of the truth. You make it up and you call it truth for you and I'll make mine up and I'll call it truth for me and as long as you're happy with your truth and I'm happy with my truth, hey, we're all happy. Peace, man. Since there are no objective, external absolutes by which we can measure truth. Truth is only a product of our own humanity. And because there is such a huge variety in humanity, there are many, many varieties of truth. Everyone has their own version of truth. Let me give you an illustration 
that might, uh, that at first it took me by surprise and I reread it and I thought about it and uh, I knew it was true, but it shocked me. The change that's happening in our society. University professors in our country report that students increasingly are not prepared to say that the Holocaust was wrong. They would readily admit that it would be wrong for them, but they do not want to impose their truth on a different people in a different time. The Western worldview would have had none of that. This is something new come to our shores. Truth comes from our own individual perspective. It's not revealed by God or anything else out there. It's created simply by humans and therefore everybody's truth is as valid as somebody else's. Everybody's individual beliefs, values, lifestyle, perception of truth are equally valid and cannot and should not be challenged in this new way of looking at the world. So any worldview that claims to have all the answers which, by the way, Christianity does, is immediately shunned and pushed to one side as being unacceptable in this new way of looking at the world. In fact, anyone who holds strong convictions is looked at with suspicion and contempt because since there is no real truth, those who have convictions of truth are seen as dangerous and fanatics. And sometimes they can be. The postmodern worldview no longer differentiates between what a person thinks and the way a person behaves. Who I am is becoming the same as what I do. And if you can't judge who I am, then you cannot also judge what I do. If you disagree with my beliefs, then you are judging me, and you cannot do that. If you disagree with the way I behave, you are judging me, and who gives you the right to judge me? You cannot do that. And so there is this huge pressure now for us to accept everybody's lifestyle and everybody's behaviour, because the way they live is as good as the way they live, and the way you live is therefore as good as the way that I live. And so there is this huge pressure to accept everybody and everybody's actions as just the same. You see how dangerous this is for the church? Hello? Why is the church under increasing pressure to ordain practicing homosexuals? They're under increasing pressure, not because there has been a dramatic shift in theology from within the church, but that they are under pressure from without because a position that says something is wrong is seen as increasingly intolerable in today's society. It's why Christians are under pressure to agree that all religions are equally valid saying that we not only must respect the right of other people's beliefs and values, not only should we dialogue with them, but we should happily conclude that their version of truth is just as good as our version of the truth. 
There is pressure not simply to dialogue, but to agree. And where you cannot agree that somebody else's version of truth is as good as your own, you are seen to be arrogant beyond belief and to have an attitude that is now intolerable in this new way of looking at the world. In effect, postmodernism says that all truth claims are equal except, except those like Christianity that say all truth claims are not equal. The only thing you cannot say these days is that some things are wrong and some things are right. Because the day is almost here when everything is right. The Bible, though, offers us another worldview. It's not animist, it's not Western modern, it's not postmodern. A biblical worldview. What is truth? What is this way of looking at the world? Is it that there is some neutral spiritual power that we can harness before it overwhelms us? Or is truth something that only scientists can uncover? Or is truth simply whatever you believe? Whatever makes you happy tonight? Is that the truth? Does it even exist at all? Well, the Bible's very clear. The Bible's very clear that truth exists quite apart from human beings. Truth is not something that comes from within, so what comes from within you and me is equally valid. Truth is something that comes from above. Truth is not something that grows from within us. It is from the top down. It is imposed upon us. It is truth whether we accept it or not. The Bible teaches that God is truth. In a postmodern world, you are ridiculed for saying that. But the Bible says that truth is objective, it's absolute, it's outside us, it's imposed on us, it's not about what grows from within, it's about what God has given. Does that make sense? Well, think with me for a moment, it makes perfect sense. Faith and logic are not incompatible. Logic, the reason of your mind, helps us to affirm that truth beyond us must exist. Consider the most important question that faces humanity. What happens when you die? Hinduism teaches that when the soul dies, it's reincarnated in another form. Christianity teaches that the soul spends eternity in heaven or hell. Atheists believe that there is no soul and when you die, you simply cease to exist. Everything ends. Postmodernism says you can make up whatever you want to believe as long as you're happy with it. They can't all be right, can they? The mind that God has given us makes it clear that those cannot be right. Those four things are clearly different and cannot at the same time be true. 
The postmodernists would say, yes, it's fine for you to believe whatever you want as long as you don't attack somebody else's truth. We all have our own truths, but it doesn't make sense. What happens when we die will be a common experience for all of us. All people everywhere will experience the same thing. Logic says that we will all have the same experience regardless of what we've chosen to believe in this life. If I'm a Hindu when I'm in my teens and I go for Christianity in my 20s, I'm an atheist in my 30s, I'm postmodern in my 40s, I'm a Muslim in my 50s, what happens when I die? The same as whatever I'd believed at any stage. If Hindus are right, we'll all be reincarnated. If Christians are right, we will stand before God in judgment. If atheists are right, then it doesn't matter how you live, because tomorrow you die. But logically, impossibly, we cannot all be true at the same time. There must be absolute truth. Some things must just be true. And the Bible says yes. And the beginning of those things that must be true is God himself. And this is the view that mankind has had for thousands of years, that there must be truth that is true. And it was regarded as so obvious that nobody questioned it. But in our disturbed and warped day, we now live as though things that are obvious simply do not exist. In the biblical view, truth, says Os Guinness, is that which is ultimately, finally, and absolutely real. Or just the way it is. And therefore is utterly trustworthy and dependable because it's grounded and anchored in God's own reality and truthfulness. In fact, because God is truth, all genuine truth is God's truth. And is true everywhere, for everyone, throughout all time. Do you feel that you being intolerant, sorry, do you feel that you are being intolerant or arrogant when you say that Jesus is the only way? We've often had conversations like that about how hard it is today to say that actually we think there is something different about our faith. Not only is it different, but it is above all other faiths. It is right, and therefore by implication the others are not so right. We want to say they're wrong. But we know we can't say that comfortably anymore. It's not a language that you can say out there. I had the most vicious attack I think I've ever had uh, since I've been a minister on this very issue. I wrote a community news one Easter about uh, why anyone who's serious in search for the truth should look to Jesus Christ first because he's the only one and Christianity the only religion where the founder claims to have come back, to have come back from the dead. No other no other religion makes that claim. No other founder makes that claim. point I was making, if you're serious about searching the truth, look for Jesus first because of what he says is true about himself. And this guy went absolutely bananas that by implication I was saying that what we stand for here in this church is right and therefore by implication the others are wrong. He was absolutely right. That's exactly what I was saying. 
but he didn't like it. And in his haranguing of me, he said, you just cannot say that. You go down the pub and say that. You will be hounded out. That is not the world we live in anymore. And he was right about that too. Because we're wearing different glasses these days. And you cannot claim that some things are right and some things are wrong. Yet come back to the crucial question about ultimate reality. There can only be one true answer. And we as Christians have many reasons that's beyond the scope of this evening for believing that we have the real answer. We are not proposing a version of the truth that we make up ourselves, but we are simply wanting to present a version of the truth that has been revealed to us, brought down to us, not of our own making, but of God's giving. The Bible is his gift to us. Jesus was his gift to us. We didn't manufacture him or make him or conjure him up. He was a gift, revealing who God was and is. And he said, I am truth. In fact, the way, the truth, and the life. And we may find it difficult these days to advance what is an increasingly unfashionable argument. But I tell you this, the church cannot give up this issue for truth or we will be dead in decades if we do because we'll no longer stand for anything. Isn't that true? If we give this truth up, we have lost the very nugget that gives us life because we will then stand for nothing or for anything. No one comes to the Father, said Jesus, except through me. And I think it's important that we recognize in our own upbringing and experiences that have led us to look at life in particular ways, that it's so easy for us to mix and match, to wear biblical spectacles some of the time, and to look at other things in life with different spectacles on. And and the, the giveaway, the giveaway is not what we say we believe, but what we do. And so often, instead of making decisions based on biblical spectacles, a biblical worldview, we will often make decisions in our life based on a worldview that where we've borrowed the spectacles from people around us. We will make decisions, for example, on what we can afford. The Bible never talks about making decisions on what you can afford. The Bible talks about making decisions on the way God leads you. And yet all of the time, in my life and in yours, there's no criticism of you, we make decisions on what we can afford. We have adopted a secular worldview. If I can afford it, then somehow it's my right to have it. Therefore, I will naturally choose to have what is rightfully mine because I've bought in to the way of looking at the world that everyone else, looking at the world the way everybody else does. We say that prayer is the most important thing and yet we often make decisions by working it out by ourselves. James talks about all of this leading to double-mindedness and compromise, wearing different spectacles at different times. We might say we believe what God says. Our behavior can sometimes demonstrate something different. And it's very powerful. It's easy to criticize it in other cultures. The animist culture, for example, uh, uh, let me read to you a couple of examples of of things that that, that do and may well happen. The first uh, was 
uh, where, where in, a, in, a, in a church, in that culture, one brother in Christ had upset another brother in Christ, and he went to that brother to try and put it right. And that brother said, I know the Bible says I should forgive, but I belong to the Ingos tribe, and we never forgive. What was he saying? He was saying, I can see the biblical worldview and I I could wear those spectacles, but I am choosing, I'm choosing to relate to what has happened through the worldview of my tribe. He was saying that whilst he professed Christianity and Christ as Lord, there were some things where that was not true. In an East African country, an evangelical missionary organization was handing the church, if you like, to the local people so that they could lead it themselves. Two men were presented for the position of leadership. There's only place for one. Two men were presented. One of them went to the witch doctor to secure a favorable outcome to leading this church. We laugh because it seems obvious in our culture that there's a mixed match of values. But to him, so absorbed in his culture, there was no mixed match. I want to assure you that there are mixed matches in our lives that we don't see very clearly because we're so absorbed in our culture. That praying might be one. The buying things that we can afford would be another. And so we can go on. How many Christians read their horoscope? more than you would care to imagine. How many of you sometimes touch wood? I've prayed with people who touch wood. You know, we kind of cover all the options. You know, I'll look to Jesus, I'll pray with those spectacles on, but then there are some other spectacles that I wear quite comfortably. I'll touch wood just in case. And I guess the biggest impact it has on us is it affects the reason that we are Christians. I'm finishing now. Which one, which one of these best describes you? I believe because Christianity seems to work. I tried it, and it was good, it worked, therefore I believe in it. What I have experienced leads me to feel that Christianity is true. I experienced it, and it felt good, therefore I've come to believe in it, because of the way my feelings went towards it. I believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to God for all people everywhere at all times. Or I have simply made a decision that Christianity is true for me. There's only one valid answer, isn't there? And yet often, influenced by the postmodern worldview, we will say, I believe in it because it works. I gave it a go and it worked for me, so therefore I'm now committed to it. Or I've experienced it and it it felt like it was working out, therefore I'm committed to it. Or I've simply made a decision that Christianity is true for me. I don't don't worry about what other religions do, but I'm committed to Christianity and I'm going to base my life on it because it seems to be true for me. The trouble with all of those options is that your faith rests on how you feel. And it rests on your own experience. What happens when your feelings go belly up? 
What happens when your experience goes wrong? Many people struggle in their Christian lives because it began from the bottom up. It began with how you felt about it. It began with how it made you feel. It began with what you experienced. And no, no, no. It must begin because it's true. And therefore, because it's true, I will live my life on its truth. And it doesn't matter how I feel. It doesn't matter what experiences I have in life. In this regard, you understand. It is true. And it will always be true, even when my feelings go belly up, and even when my experience screams at me that something's wrong. It will still be true. Christian faith is not true because it works. But it works because it's true. It's not simply true for us. It's true for any who are serious to discover the truth. And even if no one on the planet believed it, would it still be true? Of course it would be true. And it doesn't matter how many people say they will not believe it, does that stop it being true? Of course it doesn't. And that's why truth does not yield or give to opinion, to fashion, to numbers, to office, to sincerity. It's simply true. And in that sense, that's the end of that. Christian faith is choosing to believe what God says is true. Because we've made a decision that the biblical worldview is really how things are. What glasses are you wearing tonight? How do you look at the world tonight? By all means, look at the facts. By all means, check Christianity out to be reasonable, to be responsible, to be rational. It is all of those things. You see, sometimes people are, because they care about me, and I bless them for that, They don't like to attack the Christian faith too much towards me because they think in some way they are attacking me. I understand that sentiment and I am grateful for people's sensitivity in that regard. But I tell you this, if it's true, it doesn't need me to defend it, does it? If it's true, it'll look after itself. And we need to be less worried about defending it. And I think a little keener on just saying, well, this is the way it is, guys. It'll look after itself. It has done for 2,000 years. And I'm quite confident it will continue to do. Because it's true. And there are some things that will wither away. And there are some things that will last forever. And you can be sure of this. That which is true will last forever. Let's be quiet for a few moments. In our discussion afterwards, we'll think a little bit about how we can present truth in a way that's attractive and inviting rather than a way that's a dogma that puts people off. But for now, I just want to ask you, do you know the truth this evening? Do you know the truth? Or are you still mixing and matching in your life? You do a bit of this? and a bit of that. Trusting God in some ways, but I trust in so many other things in other situations. 
Are you quite relaxed that people in the world believe something very different from you? Are you quite comfortable that their truth is okay for them? When Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me. Where do you stand on that simple sentence? Is it true? And if it's true, what will it mean for you this week to live as though those words are absolutely true? Oh God, would you protect us? Would you watch over us? Would you give us immense wisdom, buckets of compassion, loads of sensitivity, but a determination towards the truth? In Jesus' name, Amen.